Speaking of Travel is sponsored by the Asheville Regional Airport, your local connection to the world. And when you fly home, you're home. Plan your next trip at flyavl.com. Appalachian Realty. If you're looking for a home in Asheville and Western North Carolina, they'll help you find properties as unique as you are. Visit AppalachianRealty.com. And Prestige Subaru, offering a variety of new and pre-owned all-wheel drive Subarus, built with the zero landfill promise. All waste is recycled or reused with more at PrestigeSubaru.com. Welcome to Speaking of Travel with Marilyn Ball. Sit back and be carried away to places around the world and right here in our own backyard. No passport required. This is Marilyn Ball, and you're listening to Speaking of Travel right here on News Radio 570 WWNC. And you can visit the Speaking of Travel website, that's speakingoftravel.net, and sign up for the Speaking of Travel Travel Club. We're going to have lots of great things coming up in the next few months with some travel tips and giveaways, all kinds of fun things. So be sure you sign up today. And you can always listen to this episode or any episode with just a simple click on that Speaking of Travel website and on the iHeartRadio app, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Well, I want to ask you something here. Have you ever participated in a food experience other than just dining out at a restaurant? like maybe visiting a cooking school or participating in a food tour. Or maybe you've gone shopping in an Asian grocery or some kind of gourmet store. Well, let me tell you, these are all types of activities that could define you as a travel foodie. That's right. You could be a food traveler, even if it's just in your own backyard. Maybe you've been to a wine or beer or Spirit tasting, certainly in Asheville, you can do all of those things. There's craft cocktails everywhere. Or maybe visit a chocolate factory or bakery to sample what makes that area famous. You know, food travelers are explorers. It's so much fun to get off the beaten path and find that new or new for us, unique or undiscovered experiences. It's kind of what Anthony Bourdain did. He was just such a classic eating and and giving commentary and talking and being a just a food explorer. Well, we are really lucky right here in Asheville to have a foodie visionary and an accomplished chef who creates these Indian culinary experiences that will transport your palate to taste you'll find far away from Western North Carolina. Sunil Patel is a founder and farmer of Patchwork Urban Farms and Sunil's Indian Supper, which I've been to, and I am so excited to have him right here in the studio. But I don't see you making any curry or anything here, Sunil. What's up? (laughs) You should have brought samples. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that would have been a good thing to do. (laughs) Oh, that's okay. We're just glad you're here. Thank you for being here on the show today. Thank you for having me. So, Sunil, you and I met actually at one of your Indian suppers, and it was just one of the most unbelievable experiences I've had in many, many years. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you even came to 
to end up in Asheville? Well, um, <clears throat> my parents are from India, um, and they moved to the States in the mid-70s and had me and my sister. We were raised up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and um, we uh, grew up there eating amazing food from my mom's cooking. And, um, um, and yeah. And so when I, um, went off to college, I started learning things from my mom, realizing like, Oh, I'll need to know how to do these things. And, and so from having a passion for eating, it led into a passion for cooking and just food in general. And, um, uh, the path was kind of, um, twisty and turny as far as how I made it to Asheville, but basically I started farming along the way and um, uh, had a eco-village dream with some friends, and um, we had a project in mind. We decided we'd try it out, and we chose Asheville as the place to, to get that going. Um, that project didn't really materialize, but in the meantime, I started um, Patchwork Urban Farms, which is this multi-plot urban farm, and um, and uh, my partner and I, um, more so my partner, started um, Sovereign Remedies, which is a restaurant in town, and that really helped me um, move from being kind of a home cook slash um I did cook for large groups um along the way as well so um I had that experience but being um part of Sovereign Remedies I <clears throat> started doing pop-up dinners there and and like kind of started to get a feel for how to be more of a chef and that kind of thing um yeah and uh that's kind of what led to me being a farmer and a chef. A farmer and a chef. And mm -hmm. tell us a little bit more about the Patchwork Urban Farms, because it's a concept that, uh, well, is unique in what you're doing. And it's very visionary and, and progressive. Give us an idea of how that works, uh, how that whole farm because you really, truly are a farm-to-table chef, literally. I mean, you're farming, you're growing. I remember at the uh, dinner where you actually, it was like they were your little friends. Like, <laughs> here's my corn. <laughs> so mm -hmm. tell us how that all plots out, because it's a patchwork. Yeah. Um, well, urban farming has always been something that I thought was, like, supremely important in the world of food and farming and something that needs to happen more um, I never really thought I would be doing it because I really enjoyed being in the country and, you know, having more of a secluded farming situation. But um, somehow it's I, I kind of tell people that the farm is happening to me more so than it's coming from me. Um, but the vision is uh, really broad reaching um, and kind of addresses almost all the major issues with um, food security and food access and um, and also just connecting, reconnecting people with the land and the food that they eat. Um, basically the farm, we're in our fifth season, well, we're in our sixth season now. Um, and, uh, we have multiple, pl multiple plots all around town, um, all kind of acting as one farm. And, uh, I started the farm solo, but we've been moving towards it being more of a cooperative, um, 
uh, farm where there's uh, many farmers farming clusters of patches in the city, sharing marketing distribution and some infrastructure, like cold storage, for example, propagation space and that kind of thing. Um, and and there's uh, and that's kind of like the main piece we've been trying to develop this last couple of years is that cooperative grower network. Um, and we do um, CSA programs. We have an online market, which is a multi-vendor market, and um, and we have like uh, pickup locations around town that um, people can order online or get a CSA share. Um, and pick up at those locations. And um, we do a little bit of restaurant sales. <clears throat> and I a lot of stuff from my growing operation goes towards my cooking operation. And um, we also do a little bit of wholesale. Um, but the vision is really about feeding the residents of the city and also like even extending it to affecting food access issues where um, people who can't access uh, fresh food can access it through us, um, and that's still in process. We haven't achieved that part of the vision yet, but um, it's definitely in the works. Would you mind uh, explaining, because some people might not know what a CSA is. It's still kind of a concept that is fairly new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it stands for Community Supported Agriculture, and um, there's a whole spectrum of like how it's set up um, on the extreme end. It's where a community of people are actually like investing in a farm or end farmer, um, and they basically put up upfront capital in exchange for getting a share of the harvest through the whole season. Um, and that that can look like something where there's like a board of consumers who are like making co co co-decisions about like acquiring more land or things like that. Um, and that's kind of like the pure version of CSA. Um, but nowadays there's, it, it ranges to being, uh, more of a subscription service where people are paying up front and then they get a box every week, uh, kind of thing. And that's kind of more of the common, um, model that's, um, happening, um, probably in the majority of CSAs. Um, and we are a subscription type service on that spectrum, but um, we're hoping one one part of the vision is bringing consumers into the fold as true owners of the farm as well. And so um, that's down the line. Haven't figured out how that will work exactly, but um, it's definitely on the table as something we're going to pursue. I like it. So where could somebody find out more about um Patchwork Urban Farms, if they wanted to get a subscription and join or become mm-hmm. a member or whatever? Uh, you can check out uh, patchworkurbanfarms.com. Um, that's our website. And um, it has a link to our online market. And that's where you'll find all our product lines. Perfect. Well, Sunil, thank you so much. We'll be back. And I want to talk more food. And I was doing a little research in you and saw that you studied abroad on semester at sea. Oh, yeah. I want to talk about that. Cool. We'll be right back. Every story has its beginning, a starting point from which it wanders the long and winding road, weaving its way toward the final word. 
It is on this road where the greatest moments often lie, where memories are made, lessons are learned, and where experiences can be valued forever. Each story is a journey, blind to what lies ahead and conditioned by the road behind. While the destination may or may not be known, each journey is unique, unfolding in the moment and defined by those at the wheel. Regardless of where your journey takes you, it remains yours to create. Embrace the journey. Find your ride at PrestigeSubaru.com. Any real estate company's success is a reflection of its attention and care provided to its clients. Appalachian Realty Associates are proven to have the best agents around. And if you're looking for a place in Asheville and Western North Carolina, they'll help you find properties as unique as you are. Visit them at AppalachianRealty.com or at their welcoming bungalow office on Arlington Street near downtown. Appalachian Realty, helping people call Asheville home since 1979. Your business trip shouldn't start with a road trip. Hundreds of global destinations are just one connection away, starting at Asheville Regional Airport. Fly Allegiant, American, Delta, Elite, and United. Asheville Regional Airport, your local connection to the world. Visit flyavl.com to plan your next trip. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars, and let me see what spring is like on... Welcome back to Speaking of Travel. This is Marilyn Ball, your host, and I'm telling you, we are so lucky here in Asheville, Western North Carolina, to have um, just so many great people who are thinking outside the box and looking at, you know, looking at global issues and and really being able to focus them into our local uh, and regional economy. And here today is Sunil Patel. Uh, he is the – now, you were the founder of Patchwork Urban Farms. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you yep. came and said, I'm going to do this. Yep. And you just started doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so tell me where are these farms are located through town, like not every place, but mm-hmm. how many farms are there? Uh, we have about um, 17 patches or so. Well, no, around 15. It kind of um, – we get some and leave some here and there. So I think it's around 15 right now. And um, a lot are in West Asheville. Um most all of them are in city limits, if not just outside of city limits. Um, and then uh, we have a bunch, a few in North Asheville as well. And are these on private property? You know, how do you get these patches? Uh, yeah, most of them all are private landowners in town. Um, I when I started the farm. Um, it didn't have any of the big vision attached to it. It was just like, oh, I'm just going to find some yards to farm and maybe cook from them and that kind of thing um, and start a little you know enterprise that way and so I made a Facebook page and started to spread the word I had it was good because I had already gotten to meet a lot of the kind of um, like big players so to speak in Asheville around food and farming and all that kind of stuff and so it was um, pretty easy to get the word out and find a few good foundational patches in that first year. And then ever since, um, we've just get, been getting, you know, trickles of people being like, hey, farm my land. And and we haven't really had to do much to build a list probably of over 100 people who have said, 
hay farm my land. So, <laughs> I so love land it. is definitely abundant. Um, and it's just a matter of finding more growers to get involved now. So how are you putting the word out that you would like more by getting people to your website? If they come to your website, they can find out more information? Uh, yeah, we don't have anything explicit about um, joining the fold as a farmer yet. Um, but definitely, if there's anyone out there who is interested in starting an enterprise in cooperation with us, um, just email us and can get you in the in the know about how how it could work and that's really how it does work is you know just kind of word of mouth and um and then these suppers that you're doing your indian suppers uh, you know i just want to say when the first time i went and i've lived here 41 years i had no idea where i was going in monford i mean i've been in monford so many times but i had no idea where this I had never been to that little tucked in place where you were having the supper and you had it all you have it all arranged and maybe 20 people what how do you mm-hmm. how do you conceive these Sunil? I'm just curious because it was just so well developed oh well that's good to hear <laughs> way in the middle of nowhere but right in the middle of town oh right you mean the patch itself yeah. uh yeah that one is actually a special one uh because it's owned by a nonprofit called bountiful cities and that was one of the first patches i got bountiful cities was running that space as a community garden for 15 plus years at that time and um uh, community gardens, volunteer management, ups and downs. And so it was kind of a downtime, and they knew I was starting this multi-plot farm. And they were like, oh, we can offer this space to patchwork, and it'll help kickstart that enterprise. And so it was kind of like not super formal, but um, in a way they were incubating this farm business by offering all that infrastructure. So I had access to like already established gardens. I had access to propagation space, greenhouse space. Um, and, and then I was able to develop, um, a cold storage walk-in cooler there and all that, the pavilion that we had the dinner in was all there already. Um, and so super blessing to have, you know, that be, um, offered up to, you know, really help propel all of this forward that I'm working on. And, um, and now it's kind of moving into the realm of we're trying to formalize that kind of shared infrastructure, thing that's happening there so we can repeat that in multiple neighborhoods where it's shared food and farming infrastructure that um, services farmers and also the neighborhood at large. It's so refreshing because what you're talking about is really the foundation of, of our community. You know, when you go back to the 60s, the 70s, the people who were living here, the people who were newcomers who were coming here who wanted to create a community around collaboration and working together and sharing. You're continuing that uh, foundation. And it's so refreshing because in the growth that we're seeing in this community to know that there's this movement, if you will, is really, really great. So I applaud you. Thank you for, uh, well, for doing all of that. Well, and, thank you. And for the organizations and the people who are coming forward and saying, hey, we're not being competitive. We want you to succeed. We want you to 
incubate. That's so much about what our community is about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Those find foundational aspects of um, you know that physical infrastructure piece, as well as just regenerating land, um, and then also just those kind of interpersonal and interorganizational connections that need to be there in order to like really create this thing, this ideal we call community. Exactly. And and doing it around food. So let's go back to your Indian supper, because that was one I went twice, actually, to that same pavilion. Um, And one of them was like food that was your family's like your mom's comfort food, kind of like mac and cheese for us. And um, give us an idea of how how that even percolated for you, that you were like, you know what? Mom made all these great dishes. I'm going to try to replicate them and make mm-hmm. a meal. How did that unfold in your head? Um, I'm trying to remember. I'm not sure exactly what what um, what was the kind of source of that. Um, but uh, like my household was uh, vegetarian growing up, and so I think that might have been it. It was like, oh, I should do a vegetarian meal because there's lots of people who are always being like, oh, do a veggie one and that kind of thing. Um, and and it, I was also like feeling really grateful to my family at the moment. You know, um, every time like I plan a supper, I'm like, oh, okay, what should I do and what should I cook? And at that moment, I think I was just feeling extra grateful um, for all of what had been passed down um, from my mom teaching me how to cook, but also just my family at large for creating that culture of food and creating that sense of um, expressing our love through food um, and that, all that kind of stuff. And so. So, so yeah, I, I, I was just like, okay, I'm just going to do like a super like homey, my homey kind of dinner and put it out there and, and yeah. Well, it worked. We all felt homey and <laughs> <laughs> comfy, cozy, and really, truly it was, uh, the flavors and the, the, just the whole experience of being with our community, people sit family style, so you're interacting with people you don't know mm-hmm. around food that you've been inspired and loved that you grew <laughs> it's a it's a win-win for everybody there Sunil. <laughs> <laughs> well good I'm you're glad. doing great <laughs> well when we come back let's talk more about that i also want to talk to you about um just more about the farming aspect too of um sustainability and and biodynamics and things that we might not know about, but are really important in uh, in the work that you're doing. Cool. So, cool. Sunil Patel is here in the studio. We're talking food, and I'm getting hungry. This is Marilyn Ball. We'll be right back. This is Tina Kinsey with Asheville Regional Airport, and I have a travel tip for you today. Do you know that airports all have three-letter airport codes that are used in many ways, including for booking and baggage routing? It's a good idea to educate yourself about your destination airport's three-letter code. You can then check the airline's baggage routing tag to ensure the correct airport destination is listed. Why is this important? 
While Asheville Regional Airport's code is intuitive, AVL, there are other airports that don't correlate quite as well to the airport's name. Take New Orleans, for example. The code for Louis Armstrong Airport, located in New Orleans, is MSY. I hope you get to take a trip soon, and we would welcome you at AVL. Asheville Regional Airport. Take the easy way out. Every story has its beginning, a starting point from which it wanders the long and winding road, weaving its way toward the final word. It is on this road where the greatest moments often lie, where memories are made, lessons are learned, and where experiences can be valued forever. Each story is a journey, blind to what lies ahead and conditioned by the road behind. While the destination may or may not be known, each journey is unique, unfolding in the moment and defined by those at the wheel. Regardless of where your journey takes you, it remains yours to create. Embrace the journey. Find your ride at PrestigeSubaru.com. People call Asheville home for all different reasons, and they all mean a better quality of living that reflects their very own uniqueness. Whether you're looking for a funky loft in downtown Asheville, an arts and crafts bungalow in a walkable community, or a small farm to create your own artistic legacy, Appalachian Realty Associates will help you find properties as unique as you. Visit them at AppalachianRealty.com or at their welcoming bungalow office office on Arlington Street, right near downtown. Appalachian Realty, helping people call Asheville home since 1979. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars, and let me see what spring is like on It's time to catch up with Doc Lawrence as he continues his journey down the Gourmet Highway. And today we find Doc in Galveston, Texas. Hey, Doc, do you know that ever since Glenn Campbell sang about Galveston, I've wanted to watch the seabirds flying in the sun? So what's going on down there? Marilyn, if you heard me humming an old Glenn Campbell song, Galveston, that Jimmy Webb tune that is just captivating, You can guess where I am. Yes, old Doc's down here in Galveston Island, just off the coast of Texas, a home of 35,000 people, a real island. And I know how much you and I both love islands, Maryland, particularly when they're on America's shores. You can't do any better than this place. The history, the opulence, the accessibility, the never-say-die Lone Star attitude. This place was destroyed in 1900. 8,000 people died here as a result of a killer hurricane. The Texas way is to rebuild and never give up. It's just like the Alamo. That spirit Maryland pervades here. It's omnipresent. And this is a hustling, bustling metropolis and a vacation paradise unlike any other I can think of. What a thrill it is to be back here. I've been here several times, and each time I come back, I think to myself, you know, I could live here. But if I did, I'd probably eat too much, I'd drink too much, and boy, would I get sunburned. Maryland, wow is the operative word here. The Victorian homes here rival any place I've ever seen in grand architecture, recalling another era the museums, the art galleries, the historic opera house. Maryland, I'm booked at the 100-year-old Hotel Galvez, a luxury facility complete with gourmet dining, an energetic bar, and the view from the roof leaves me breathless. Galveston rose, as I said, many, many years ago from death and destruction. But true to the best of Texas, 
Everything has been reconstructed, and you would never know tragedy ever happened here. This is a family-friendly place. It is also perfectly suited for adults. You can come here and find everything because the variety is so vast. The historic Pleasure Pier, Maryland, is like the Rogers and Hammerstein musical State Fair. Roller coasters, merry-go-rounds, cotton candy, and loads of laughter 24-7. This place never closes. And who hasn't heard of Moody Gardens? It's a universally beautiful, exotic greenhouse featuring plants, and it's much like a tropical rainforest. Maryland, I honestly believe when I was walking through there earlier today, a plant tried to eat me. I'm not kidding. This place is beautiful, but you got to watch where you walk. Maryland, we love the lifestyle offered wherever the arts are side-by-side with entertainment, fine dining, wonderful drinks, and the great outdoors. You have 35 miles of beach here, right on the Gulf of Mexico, 14 museums the last time I counted, 20 art galleries, and the Lone Star Flight Museum is here. Yes, it's about airplanes, and Texas is big with airplanes. They're big on everything here. I swear you could spend a lifetime here and just scratch the surface. Food, Tex-Mex, barbecue, international cuisine, it's all here. Maryland, just guess what? I'm headed over tonight to eat at Miller's Seawall Grill. Yes, indeed. Friends have whispered in my ear and told me that you can taste the love in this place. I plan to start with a Texas-sized margarita, Maryland, and I'm going to toast to you. We're well into the new year. We're having a lot of fun, and let's keep the spirit going from now on through the end of December. Well, Maryland, it's time for me to go now, get dressed. Remember, i got to go to dinner tonight. And this is Doc Lawrence for Maryland Ball, and speaking of travel, on the Gourmet Highway in Galveston Island, Texas, saying, I hope to see you soon in your hometown. I just knew it. Galveston is a place we're going to meet up for sure. So we'll talk to you next week, Doc. Keep on traveling. You know, you can follow Doc's journey on the Gourmet Highway by visiting thegourmethighway.com. Well, we're traveling down a gourmet highway of sorts today with Sunil Patel, the founder and farmer of Patchwork Urban Farms and Sunil's Indian Suppers. And Sunil, let's talk a little bit about this process. We were talking about your farming and having all these um, seasonal uh, ingredients as you're making your meals. It sounds like you're trying to really move Uh, towards being able to use what you have versus having to go all over the world to get your ingredients. Talk a little bit about when you're preparing your suppers, how you maybe modify based on your crop. Yeah. um, So, yeah, in general, when I'm, you know, making a menu, I'm not necessarily starting from the menu. I'm starting from, okay, what do I have? And so I'll plan a dinner out like a month in advance and, think about, okay, what, what am I going to ha- be harvesting at that time? And, and really shape the whole menu out of that. And that's kind of a cooking philosophy, I think, that's um, kind of much needed in, you know, in all of our kitchens, just like having that kind of skill set and mindset to um, see what's in front of you and create something from that rather than forcing you know, a recipe 
um, which would require you know sourcing things from all over the place, and it being an Indian dinner, obviously I am sourcing from around the world, but um, you know thinking about analogs to um, the different ingredients, for example, like um, uh, basmati rice can be Carolina grown rice or even substituting rice with uh, grits, which are grown locally um, and things like that. And then also like, um, like for example, like dates in some of the Indian chutneys um, using, um, you know, sweet local fruits like persimmons or pears and things like that um, are definitely like uh, kind of strategies to um, you know really make for something really magical to happen because doing it in that kind of way will really like make making the authenticity and an honesty kind of expressed through through the food. Well, and it is a total paradigm shift in a way, especially for Americans who do tend to cook by recipes and follow it. Exactly. So it's a new skill set, a new mindset that has to be educated and taught, really. And and, and a big part of it would be just experiencing. Like mm-hmm. we were talking about being foodies, traveling all around the world, tasting different foods. And you're providing that right here in our own backyard with your Indian suppers and bringing in our local food to create it. Teaching mm-hmm. us how to do that is going to be really important. Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping to actually um, do some classes around that topic um, because you know, being a farmer and 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 um, interacting with um, consumers, um, you realize more and more that like, wow, there's like a really big gap for even those that are like very embedded in the local food system who frequent the farmers markets and all that stuff there's still like a huge kind of um gap in in the ability to adapt and the ability to also like plan for the future with you know putting food up and uh, extending the season of things by storing food and that kind of thing well we were talking about the CSA and and you know getting a box of of this beautiful, beautiful food and then not knowing what to do with it. Like, I don't have a clue what this even is. It's, what you said was CSA anxiety. It, that makes sense. Yeah, that's like one of the – I think it's the number one reason people will um, not continue to uh, do a CSA program is because of that – that kind of anxiety about like, oh, what do I do with this? And oh my gosh, it's going to go to waste and all that kind of stuff. Well, we don't want anything to go to waste. So it's important that we learn how to find the magic, be in that magic moment. Well, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about you personally, kind of where where you've been, where you're headed, what you'd like to do as, as we go down the road. Cool. Great. This is Marilyn Ball. You're listening to Speaking of Travel with Sunil Patel, the founder and farmer of Patchwork Urban Farms. We'll be right back.
With 50 flights every day to and from cities like Atlanta, Charlotte, and Chicago, you can fly to hundreds of worldwide destinations with one easy connection. Choose Allegiant, American, Delta, Elite, or United right here from Asheville Regional Airport. And when you fly home, you're home. Asheville Regional Airport. Take the easy way out. Every story has its beginning. A starting point from which it wanders the long and winding road, weaving its way toward the final word. It is on this road where the greatest moments often lie, where memories are made, lessons are learned, and where experiences can be valued forever. Each story is a journey, blind to what lies ahead and conditioned by the road behind. While the destination may or may not be known, each journey is unique, unfolding in the moment and defined by those at the wheel. Regardless of where your journey takes you, it remains yours to create. Embrace the journey. Find your ride at PrestigeSubaru.com. Any real estate company's success is a reflection of its attention and care provided to its clients. Appalachian Realty Associates are proven to have the best agents around. And if you're looking for a place in Asheville and Western North Carolina, they'll help you find properties as unique as you are. Visit them at AppalachianRealty.com or at their welcoming bungalow office on Arlington Street near downtown. Appalachian Realty, helping people call Asheville home since 1979. Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars. And let me see what spring is like on Welcome back to Speaking of Travel. This is Marilyn Ball, your host, and I'm here with Sunil Patel, and he's a founder, farmer of Patchwork Urban Farms, Sunil's Indian Supper. We we even brought up um, Sovereign Remedies. Let's talk about that for a second, because Sovereign Remedies is craft everything, right? I mean, isn't the philosophy there to be a little out of the box? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't really take a whole lot of credit um, for the beautiful place it is. Um, but my partner, Charlie, is um, the the mastermind creator of the whole thing. And he just has an amazing eye for um, creating a space um, that people feel very warm and welcomed in um and so the the restaurants just got this amazing feel to it and he's also a mixologist and so so the cocktail program is um you know tip top and and a couple of years ago we got a chef um, named graham house who's doing amazing um kind of veggie forward farm inspired um food that is likely you know something that you know even people who are very very well versed in fine dining have not experienced um so it's an amazing spot and and it helped me propel myself into you know being more of a a chef in my world and not only a chef i i you know this word mixology is is kind of a new it's it's an old term but it's becoming new on the scene mm-hmm. um, being able to take i guess different um, spirits. Is that what you're doing with mixology? You're, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. And that's kind of what you're doing with your food, mm-hmm. taking persimmons instead of dates, right? Right. Yeah. Is there a word for that in food? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, you're going to need to invent one <laughs> that you can own. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, that it seems like that you both are kind of mixing. 
and thinking outside the box of, hmm, how can we make this flavor? And So mm-hmm. let me ask you, when you're growing up, you, where did you say you grew up? In New Jersey? Oh, in Pennsylvania? Yeah, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, right. So did your family um, travel when you were a kid? Did you go back to uh, – did you travel to India? Did you go on family trips when you were a kid growing up? Yeah, um, didn't go to India with the family as often as as many of my peers did, um, but did maybe a handful of times. Um, some of my, like my mom's sister and my dad's brother, still live in India, um, and so. But the rest of the extended family is all in the states. So a lot of our travel would be like to go visit family who are in the states, who are all over the states, um, and then just vacation traveling. You know, getting in the station wagon and going to an um, amusement park in Ohio or, you know, things like that. Um, and then personally, I traveled a lot when I got into college. I did backpacking trips and things like that. And I lived in Japan for a while as well. And you were uh, you did the semester at sea. I I understand. Yeah. While you were in college. Yep. Tell us a little bit about that because I had semester at sea, um, the organization on my show mm-hmm. last year talking about it. Tell me what it was like for you being a college student. Oh, well, it was really cool because you could be in college on a cruise ship <laughs> for three months and do a whole semester like that. Um, and so, so yeah, it was like half half of the semester we were on the boat, and then the other half we were stopped in one of, uh, well, the other half we were stopped in the different countries, and the boat kind of went all the way around the world, so it started in the Bahamas, and then South America, Africa, Asia, South Asia, and then Japan, and then back to Seattle, so it was like a full circuit boat trip. Um it was a really amazing experience. It's actually what led me to want to go live in Japan. Um, and But it was also, you know, it has it had its ups and downs, you know, like being on the boat and feeling sick and having to go to class and, you know, all that kind of stuff. If there was a storm and you were, like, getting seasick and <laughs> it was kind of intense that way. And, and, and then you, it was just like this very, like, you know, it was three months long, but it was very quick, you know, only five days in any given country that we visited. And so it was just like, get there, like run around real quick and then get back on the boat and then go to the next place. And and so I, I did learn that like, oh, you know, for me, it's really, it was really great to get this kind of tour of all these different places. Um, and it led me to be like, oh, I really want to, you know, experience Japan more in depth, but but also knowing that it's not for everyone to do it that way, and I think it's um, <clears throat> just as valuable or more valuable for some people to like just immerse themselves in one spot for you know three months or whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, it was it was really fun. Well, going to Japan afterwards, what did you did you go there to to live and to work or to be in school? Yeah, um, I studied anthropology in school, um, and when I graduated, I said, I think I'll go to grad school and keep studying anthropology, um, but in between, I'll um, go live in Japan, get 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 a handle of the language, and uh, get feel for the culture, because that's what I would be studying in grad school, um, 
And so, so yeah, I thought I would just go for one year, but I ended up being there for three years just because there was all these things that were keeping me there. Um, but I was uh, teaching English there, which was my way of being able to live there. Not, I'm not so passionate about imposing English on foreign cultures, but it was a good way to to live there and make a living doing it. And then when when did you really get into the farming and the and the cooking portion of the program? Oh, well, um Japan actually. I was in a village in Japan and so um farming was all around me and that's when I like realized like oh my gosh, like food is so important in my life and this whole side of it which is probably like 90% of it is not like I don't know anything about it, kind of thing, and so, so I had friends, and you know, I'd help in their gardens, or you know, I'd help with like rice harvest and things like that, and little bits, and and when I came back, I still thought I'd go to grad school for anthropology, but I um, I said, okay, I'll do an apprenticeship on a farm to just get a basic knowledge of how to grow food, and then go to grad school and like have like kind of this sustainable food systems angle with my anthropology. Um, and after that first year of apprenticing, I realized, like, I still don't know anything. <laughs> I was like, I have to do it another year to get that basic thing that I was looking for. And then after that second year, I, I apprenticed on another farm. Um, I was like, oh, my gosh, my horizons are totally opened up, and I want to learn all this stuff. And so I just chose growing as my path at that point. Well, you still between anthropology and farming, you've got your shovel in the ground, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's all kind of played yeah. out. Well, what's on the horizon? You've got so many. Uh, your life is like a patchwork urban farm. <laughs> you've got mm. you know your your hands in a lot of pies, if you will. So how do you see kind of taking all that into into your future? That's a good question. I'm constantly trying to figure out how all these different pieces are balancing. And there's even other pieces that I haven't really talked about today that are in the mix of trying to figure out how it all balances. Um, a lot of it has to do with, you know, like what's going to make um, it uh, all viable for me to make a living doing all this stuff. And so balancing all these different pieces. The cooking part has really helped make the farming side work for me. Um, has made my whole enterprise as a whole um, be income generating, um, <clears throat> which is key for me to keep doing all this work. Um, and so I think I'm kind of landing on like how to balance the two and and then also doing work with uh, Bountiful Cities and developing some of this vision for patchwork through through a nonprofit and that kind of thing is like kind of in development. And so... So, yeah, it's all kind of in process. I don't have the answers yet, but kind of just seat of the pants trying to figure it out as I go. Well, we're all supporting you and, and behind you. And I know when you post something that you're having a supper, those tickets sell out so fast. I don't even have time to, like, put my finger on it. It's like, <laughs> how does everybody know about Sunil's Indian suppers already? <laughs> you came in just so quietly, and now it's... Uh, so how can people, tell us again, can get in touch with uh, the Patchwork Urban Farms and what you're doing with all of that? How can we connect? Uh, well, patchworkurbanfarms.com is our website, and it has all our contact info, um, and it also has a link to our online market. Um, and then... Um, 
my uh, Indian Supper uh, doesn't have a website, but we do have a Facebook page, um, Sunil's Indian Supper on Facebook. And that's S-U-N-I-L. Yep. S-U-N-I-L-S Indian Supper. Gotcha. Um, And that's uh, on Facebook. And so that's the place you'd find out about the next pop-up. And I'm not sure when this is going to air, but the next one is on February 16th. Well, it's coming up. And like I said, you better get there fast. (laughs) Well, Sunil, thank you so much for being on Speaking of Travel today. We learned a lot and we have so much more we can learn. And we're going to be looking for you to you to kind of lead the way forage for us. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. It was a pleasure. Awesome. Well, this is Marilyn Ball. You've been listening to Speaking of Travel. This is the week, folks. Go out and do a little research. Figure out how you can make magic with a CSA, how you can create meals around what's local, what's seasonal, what's fresh. And remember, life is short. Don't postpone joy. (laughs) 